Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 212 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where they just released the two expanded versions of Tone Poems 2 and Dog Duos, and actually just spent yesterday listening to that Dog Duos album. It'd been a minute since I've given that one a spin. He's got so much great music, but wow, I forgot how incredible it was. And then you can also listen to the uh, super cool podcast that David and Danny Barnes do called Acoustic Encounters over at Acoustic Disc. So thank you so much for listening once again, everybody. Also, thank you to my new patrons. I appreciate it. Two things I've added to the Patreon. Um, I added today a list of the next three upcoming guests. And if you have any questions for them, feel free to post them over there. My goal is to get to at least one question each week from a patron. So, and I'm also going to be posting um, one of the things I've been researching is ways to spice up the major scale um, when I'm playing some bluegrass stuff, you know, and I, I found a really cool piano exercise online from like seven years ago where it adds uh, some flat notes. For example, if you were using just the C scale on a piano, you would use some of the black keys in there and it's really cool exercise so i've uh i've typed it all up and i'm going to put it up there in 12 keys and i'm going to shoot a video as well and that'll be available over at my patreon along with the 365 project it's a lick a day for 365 days um book one is out it's 91 licks up there but all those licks combined to form some pretty sweet solos the music and the uh recordings are available among the tiers of the uh, Patreon. So thank you so much to all of you who have supported the podcast, and thank you for all of those who listen every week, too. I truly appreciate it. Uh, if you don't follow me on the Instagram, please do. Oh, other news today. Green Mountain Bluegrass Festival just announced their lineup. Holy cow. Another incredible lineup from the uh, Green Mountain Bluegrass Festival. And also, don't forget about the Charleston Bluegrass Festival. That's coming up here the end of March, and they have a mandolins and beer stage right next to the main stage. It's going to be exciting. It'll be a super jam on that stage. My band will be playing lots of great bands. You can get tickets in the link below. So yeah, if you're going to be in the Charleston area, it's a good time to do it. Weather starts getting nice and warm. It's a beautiful area where they're doing it this year. So come and uh, check out the Charleston Bluegrass Festival. I'm going to get into the sponsors here real quick and get into this episode with Tristan Scroggins. Peghead Nation, with Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a, an incredible lineup of mandolin instructors. Uh, Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, Ian Curry, beginner to advanced, they have it all. They got the high-quality video, notation tab, play-along tracks, and... A ton of songs, a ton of songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. You get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com. Use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Tone slabs, get yourself a slab of tone. I love my Tone Slab pick. You can get yours as well at ToneSlabs.com. They've got all the sizes and shapes you want. You can customize them, and they're super great to work with Frank and David over at ToneSlabs.com. Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player out of Austin, Texas. Pava Mandolins and Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and string instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They are in their 51st year, they're family-owned and operated, they're award-winning, they ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. Love the folks at Elderly Instruments, so thank you to all my sponsors, thank you to all my listeners. Tristan's new album with George Jackson and some friends is out today, the Old Time 100. And once again, it is Band Camp Friday. It is February 2nd today. That means all the proceeds go to the band. So if there's any albums you've been thinking about purchasing, head on over to Band Camp 
and get a copy yourself. That's what I'm doing now. I just purchased my copy of the Old Time 100, and it is time for me to go and listen to that album. So I'm excited to listen to it. Hope everybody out there has themselves a fantastic week. Cheers, everybody. Well, man, now it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast one of my favorite guests, Tristan Scroggins. Tristan, how's it going, bud? Hey, Daniel. I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. Uh, <laughs> you've had a busy first part of the year. You were on a cruise ship at one point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's it like? I was. What's it, what was it like? Was that your first uh, bluegrass cruise ship, or have you done it before? No, you know, it was actually a country music cruise. Oh, really? Um, so. Yeah, so it was like a lot of I I don't know I don't listen to like a lot of country music, so I was having everybody explain <laughs> <laughs> who some of the bands were. Um, Shenandoah was playing and Marty Rayburn, obviously. So we like had a bluegrass jam one night, but um, I've been on a couple other. I, I played a couple bluegrass cruises and I went on Kayama once. It's always a kind of interesting thing, you know, being on a little floating festival. Yeah. <laughs> I've uh, I've never been on a cruise ship. I'm always worried about getting, like, just uh, super seasick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it got kind of rough for a minute. Uh, we had to, like, change ports and stuff. I love just chaos in general, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think uh, the girls were having a harder time. They... Where it had all the bracelets and the Dramamine and all those things. And you did that one with Sister Sadie? That's right, yeah. And they just ha they have a brand new album out called No Fear that just came out, and uh, you are featured on that. Yeah, I, I'm happy to get to play on there. I think I play on about half of it, I think. And then Mary Myers playing on the other half. They recorded while she was still playing with them. Um, and, yeah, it's a lot of fun. They're really, they're really great people and great musicians. It's a lot of fun to get to play with them. Yeah, how did you, um, how did you, I mean, obviously the, you probably knew somebody, but how did the opportunity to play mandolin with them come up? You know, I, I was thinking about it the other day. I met them like a million years ago. Well, not a million years ago. <laughs> probably six years ago. I don't know. Um, when it was like the first IBMA that they played. And I think it was also the first time I went to IBMA. Um, and I remember seeing them and thinking they were cool. But then I met Dini. Um, during uh, like one of the bluegrass nights at the Legion here in Nashville, um, I think it was actually Bluegrass Pride had um, I don't know sponsored that night or something, and it was a really great night. I think that Deanie and I played in the house band, and uh, it was Wes Corbett. His album was about to come out, so the band from his album played. It was a cool night, but. Anyway, like played with Deanie and um, her and I <laughs> both have like a lot of energy sort of uh, when we play. And so it was a lot of fun playing together. And I don't I guess also like I don't know how Deanie thought of me, but they were playing at the station and they needed somebody to fill in and play mandolin. And she asked me and it was really fun. So she kept having me do stuff. So. <laughs> They're great too, man. I um, the first time I ever heard them was at IBMA. Mm -hmm. I think the first year I went when they were playing at the amphitheater, 
And mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize that was it Tina Adair that was like I knew she had a great mm-hmm. voice. And I knew she played mandolin, mm-hmm. but I didn't really realize how good of a mandolin player she was. And we were yeah. and we were walking in, and so we I couldn't see anything yet. We were just I'm like, wow, who the heck is playing mandolin? And um, mm-hmm. then the vocal started. I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> Sister Sadie. <laughs> totally. She blew my mind. She's an incredible player. Yeah, I always liked Tina's mandolin playing. Um, she obviously is a great singer, and so I think that that's kind of more people think about. And on her, you know, she did a bunch of records when she was younger. Jerry Douglas produced, but um, Chris Thiele's playing mandolin on those. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, they're pretty interesting. It's a pretty interesting like lineup of people on those records. Like, and um, but yeah, I've always liked Tina's mandolin playing. Um, and uh, she's just obviously like, she's a lot of fun to hang out with. So whenever that happens, it's always fun. Was it weird playing with a drummer? Yeah, no, it was interesting. The the guy who played drums, he is like kind of the in-house drummer at Mountain Home. Like they kind of have him, I think, on a retainer and they kind of use him instead of a click track. Um, and and he's really great. Like He's a really great drummer. And I, prior to that, I guess, didn't have a ton of experience playing with drums, but like... I there's an interesting quote that I feel like I'm going to be misremembering <laughs> um, <laughs> of John Fabke, who lives here in town. He um, plays music and he works at the Center for Popular Music as an archivist and stuff. He was talking to me about Jimmy Martin because Jimmy Martin had drums on a lot of stuff, but not everything. And he was telling me something to the effect of somebody asked Jimmy, like why he had drums on some stuff and some didn't on others. And he said, well, I didn't always have a band that was good enough to play with drums. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like an interesting, I feel like when bluegrass people think about there being drums or whatever, they it's always framed in this like, the drums are this outside force that's like messing things up, but it's a definitely a different thing playing with drum, like the sort of teamwork of that, and especially as a mandolin player, because it's like, well, our whole thing is like the backbeat. But, you know, I love Sam Bush, as you and I have talked about before. <laughs> and, you know, Sam always has drums and it's just trying to like it really takes off a lot of the pressure of like having to fill that space and so then you can focus a little bit more on like um i don't know like kind of more subtle sort of things in those instead of having to like define that backbeat all the time you can like really um i can't think of the right word but just you can work with it and it helps because the drummer on that was that project was really great and um live they've been having josh hunt play drums and josh is a really great drummer and so it's been really fun getting to to do that yeah i mean it kind of frees you up to think a little bit differently and you're a great cross picker too so i'd imagine you know, you could probably experiment a little with that instead of having to worry about chopping all the time, too. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of more like, you know, it's not like a straight ahead bluegrass record. So there's a lot of textures and stuff. There's Seth Taylor was uh, kind of playing guitars like acoustic and electric and baritone, all these different things. So there was a lot of, Dini spent a lot of time creating like textures on these like really beautiful songs with like different cross picking or like these little things. And so having the drums obviously freed up the mandolin to, to do more of that. Did you have a lot of pre-production going into that album or was it kind of like just a session where you 
showed up and were like, okay, here are the tunes. No, there wasn't like a, yeah, it was, I mean, that record they kind of made in a, in a couple different pieces. Cause um, there was like personnel change, like in the middle of them um, creating it. So I think that some parts of it had more of that than others, but um you know, I, I'd like played with them and had like um, some rehearsals, I guess. But Dini is such a pro at like sessions and stuff. Like she, she really just like ran it like a Nashville session, and um, it was it was really interesting to sort of watch it come together because it, it happened like very quickly, considering that there wasn't like a ton of, of reproduction, but they're also talented that it like was not, it was easy to, to get done. And then, uh, and then you're also on a, a another super talented bands album, Missy Rains. Uh, her new album comes yeah. out here, February 9th Highlander. And that band is also another band of just, just incredible musicians, yourself included. Yeah, that's like my full-time thing. Um, I I love playing with Sister Sadie when I can, but Missy's like my main project. And, and that record, um, we definitely put a lot of, of work into, a lot of um, working out these songs the way that we, we wanted them. And then Allison Brown was producing, so Allison um, is so great. It was all. It was really interesting working with Alice. I've always been like a huge Allison Brown fan, um, and we'd come in with these arrangements, and she would sort of like listen and then take it apart and then just sort of scramble it into something um, cooler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was she was great and. And it was a really fun project to work on. Um, you know, Missy is such a legend. Like this, you know, she's just this like really important figure in bluegrass. And she's for the last you know twenty-ish years, she was mostly doing stuff with her band, The New Hip, which I grew up listening to and was always a huge fan of. Dominic Leslie played mandolin in it. Dave Benedict played mandolin mandolin in it um and they did like more i don't know what you'd call it like fusion kind of stuff like it wasn't it wasn't straightforward bluegrass at all but missy's been wanting to do more of like her roots you know she grew up in west virginia and grew up going to bluegrass festivals and she was like playing in bars in dc when she was like 14 with all these like like in the middle of that dc bluegrass scene where you had like the johnson mountain boys and the seldom scene and all that stuff going on so she's um she just wants to do to do that now and it's really fun to get to be a part of that she's got the best feel yeah it's very like it's it's one of those things that's like pretty hard to describe. I feel like. Yeah, I was trying to describe it in words. I'm like, just don't say anything because it's going to sound, <laughs> you know, ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, we like playing together a lot because I like. There's something like. It's not aggressive, really, but it's like this very like forward leaning kind of bluegrass thing that I learned from my dad like my dad was always like 
kind of like 110%, not in like an overplaying kind of way, just like, I don't know, always just really on top of it. And, and Missy's kind of the same way where it's like, just really, there's a lot of like feeling in it when she's playing and it's, it's really fun to get to play together. It's especially like the two, you know, bass and mandolin. It's, it's really fun to get to create that energy with her. You guys played a lot of shows last year too? Yeah, we played a bunch last year. Um, and we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up this year. Uh, we have this long tour for this, for the record Highlander that's coming out. So we're going to be all up and down the, mostly the East coast going out West a little bit, which is new for me. You know, I spent so much time oh, touring yeah. out West yeah. now it's so far away. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys doing a lot of festivals too? Or are you doing more like just one-off sort of shows? A mix of both. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, we're going to lots of different towns and playing, you know, we'll be in like Boston playing at Club Passim and playing the Jalopy in New York, but we've got a lot of festivals too. I'm trying to <laughs> think through, make sure I'm allowed to say which ones we're doing. Oh yeah. Don't uh, worry about, yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. That's okay. People can pull up. I'm looking at the website now yeah. and there is a lot <laughs> of dates yeah. on here. I think I'm allowed to say we're playing at Merle Fest. So that'll be fun. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. I always, that was like the first festival I went to after I had started playing mandolin. I mean, I'd grown up going with my dad to festivals, but he played there with uh, Andy Owens, like right after I had started learning how to play the mandolin. And it was cool. I mean, I was like nine, maybe. So I didn't know who anybody was or the significance of anything. <laughs> and I looked back at the the lineup that year and like regret <laughs> not really like I mean, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it, but I think one thing I remember was that year was it was when Bela Fleck, Casey Treast, and Brian Sutton were doing shows together. And um, I like didn't, you know, I was more interested in like climbing things or <laughs> <laughs> <just> exploring. <laughs> yeah, we got lots of fun going all over um and yeah they're all on the website and we have it <laughs> against our publicist's wishes uh, our own band instagram account <laughs> which you know we promote all the shows but it was mostly because we wanted <laughs> um the you know the other people in the band are like we're all really good friends and um we sit around and joke a lot and we wanted to just post dumb memes and stuff. And <laughs> like, Missy, can we have our own Instagram account to post band memes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for those who aren't familiar, uh, who else in the band besides yourself and Missy? So uh, Ellie Hawkinson's playing fiddle and Ellie and I played together in my dad's band for five years. Um, Ellie's phenomenal. She's a great singer, great fiddle player. Um, Ben Garnett has played with Missy for a long time now. I can't, I can't remember. It's like six or seven years, maybe eight. I don't know. He's he's played with Missy for a long time. He's like a phenomenal jazz guitar player, and I met him probably that long ago. Um, we both did the acoustic music seminar, which was this thing that Mike Marshall and Julian Lodge used to put on. That was like like a professional development workshop for young musicians. Um, and he was like kind of just getting into bluegrass at that point. Um, but he's a phenomenal guitar player. And Eli Gilbert is playing banjo. Eli actually lives in Portland, Maine. Um, he is probably, I guess, most well known for his like Patreon stuff. He He does a lot of the online banjo lesson kind of things he's like where i <laughs> i like download all of his stuff to like practice banjo <laughs> he's like the uh D david benedict of banjo for people who might not be familiar with 
with like yes. Eli. He is very similar in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote an article recently where I described David as the Eli Gilbert of Mandel. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, but Eli's great. He's he's really he um he also he interested he also went to he went to Peabody for jazz guitar and then switched to banjo and went to ETSU for a while. Um and he's he's just a great banjo player and and we have a lot of fun. I'm like, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. I maybe am just thinking of um, Missy's husband, Ben, who um, comes and does sound with us. Ben's a great sound engineer. He, you know, and um, he's, he's, you know, also a member of the band, just not on stage. <laughs> I met him getting coffee at IBMA this year. Oh, yeah. Super nice guy. So nice. Did you guys record it at um, – he has a studio too, right? Yeah. Um, we recorded it at Compass, but then we did like edits and stuff mostly at their studio at their house. Um, yeah. And it's always fun to record stuff at Compass. It's so like this historic building and, you know, it's it's really nice. And then the project I've been most excited about because I've seen, you know – pieces in, of it from when it first started, but is the, the Old Time 100. have managed to tease that for ever now <laughs> <laughs> so the, this friday the uh second is when the um the first like recorded music of it comes out available for mm -hmm. purchase right on Bandcamp and stuff yeah yeah so we me and george jackson who's um great fiddle player he currently played he used i'm um kind of started playing with him he was playing with missy for a long time but now he plays with um, jacob jolliffe and he's a great old-time fiddle player and i <laughs> i have a lot of just like dumb ideas that i think would be funny <laughs> and i pitched this one to george where i was, because i i've gotten a lot more into playing old time like living in nashville like a lot of my friends play old time there's an old time jam and hanging around ellie like um ellie hawkinson in missy's band when we played with my dad she was living in portland oregon and there's a big old time scene in the northwest in general but portland specifically and so i like learned a lot about old time and stuff but old time mandolin is like confusing um, because it's like not really a thing. Like it kind of is a thing. <laughs> right. but, um, and so it's really hard to like figure out what I was supposed to do. I have a very specific remember uh, memory actually from Rocky Grass. I think I have a video on my computer somewhere when I was like probably thirteen or fourteen or something of hearing Dominic Leslie in a jam, like playing tunes. I don't remember who he was playing with. Maybe he was playing with a friend of mine, Sam Weiss. But they were playing these like really beautiful tunes. And I was like, I've never heard these tunes before. And they were old time songs. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when I started learning these tunes, like going to jams and stuff, um, I started wanting to like make resources in case other mandolin players were trying to learn. So I made a book a few years ago now called Old Time Fiddle Tune Favorites. That's like uh, 
it's a little transcription book of just the melody of like 10 of these really popular old time tunes and like a little bit of history about them um, in case people were like wanting to learn just a little bit. And, and then honestly, this was inspired, I think, a lot by Charlie Walden, who is a Missouri fiddle player um, who has some kind of similar resources where he's like, there's like a really rich old time tradition in Missouri and the Ozarks, like this fiddling tradition that's often kind of overlooked. And he has a bunch of like, you know, 50 Missouri old time fiddle tunes, whatever, those kinds of things. And I was like, and I was like, that'd be a cool thing to have. But it would also be really funny if we tried to just do it in a day. <laughs> <laughs> so I got George and then a bunch of people together um, so we could try to record a hundred old time tunes in a day which we mostly did. We did the first, we technically did it over two days because we like kind of got together the day before and recorded like 12 of them or something just to sort of get used to it. Um, but then the next day we went over <laughs> to James Key's house, James Key who plays guitar for East Nash Grass. He has like kind of a bigger living room space than all of us. And Jake Stargell, who's a great, well, everything player, but guitar player, um, who also played for Missy for a long time. Um, Jake came and set up a bunch of mics, and I bought like a bunch of. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I convinced Casey Campbell um, to take me to Costco with his Costco membership. <laughs> and. I just, I had a bunch of like pretty big plans that did not pan out. Like I bought a, a bunch of frozen pizzas, but I also bought like an enormous jar of capers for some reason <laughs> that did not get used. <laughs> <laughs> just, just had to have them. Well, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, well, I'll just make picadillo. That did not happen. <laughs> so, um, but I got a bunch of food and um, we set everything up and we sat there for 13 hours straight <laughs> just playing old time things. Wow. So out of the, so do you make a list of a hundred songs ahead of time? Yeah. So I, um, I'm a nerd and I like data and stuff and I actually have, there's a couple of jams like in Colorado that like will keep lists of like what they played during a jam. And I've like gotten them to send me those lists before and like average out, like see what the most popular tunes are and look at those things. Cause I think that's kind of interesting. Um, and so for this, I messaged um, I like kind of put together a list of like 150 tunes and then sent it to people um, all over the country that I, uh, that either like host jams or are like really involved in the scene. Um, and I would have liked to have sent it to even more people, but I like kind of sent it in rounds. So like I would send it to people and they would vote on like, these are the songs that definitely come up and these are the ones that aren't listed and then kind of narrow that list down and send it out again to different people. Um, and then we got, so I, then I had a list of a hundred and then when we went to record, had a big whiteboard with all of them written on it. And some of the, like, you know, we would go through them and some of them we'd be like, well, I don't really want to do that one or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it was influenced sort of by our opinions because, and I say our, like, I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't really my opinion. It was George was um, in many ways, like the musical director of it. And 
but also the other folks on there, like Amy Alvey and Frank Evans, like they are really familiar with all of that. And um, they're, they also helped sort of craft what ended up being the hundred that we recorded. 100 songs. Holy cow, man. <laughs> it's a lot more than it sounds. It, the thing that I learned was like, you know, if you're at a really good jam and you're there for like hours or three or four hours or whatever, and you're like, man, we must have played so many songs. It's like, no, <laughs> you played like 12 songs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you've also, um, the, you uh, for your patrons, there's a book that just uh, came out today. Oh yeah. oh yeah. 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 Um, I, I made transcriptions. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what people, if I get any feedback on the transcriptions, cause they are based on what um, George is playing on fiddle and part of George being like the musical director was that he like picked versions. He didn't want to just do like the most popular version necessarily, but also like, you know, wanted it to still be the tune obviously. So there's um, some of them come from like more interesting sources. Um, so it, it's the, the notation that I put out is based more on what he's playing, um, which I'll actually circle back to in a second. But um, uh, we also like filmed the whole thing. So I've been putting out on my Patreon. There's, I don't have video for every single track, but um, just like close up video of me playing during the recording. So you can, you know, listen to the recording and then also see what I'm doing. Uh, and I have to go through it. I haven't yet. It, it, it would, it'll take me a while, but I have um, the like soloed audio. I mean, not we were all in a room together, so it's it's not totally soloed, but um, but so you can just hear what the mandolin is doing. Because part of what I wanted to do was show like what the role of the mandolin was or could be in those jams and i mean i'm not an expert in that stuff but like i can just show what i do and i kind of purposefully like we didn't sit around and like practice the songs like before we went to record them because i wanted it to be like a jam and so what you're hearing on the mandolin is the same thing that happens when i just go to an old time jam where i sometimes know the song and i'm like <laughs> playing it and other times i like don't really know the song and i'm like listening and figuring it out but in a way that is like musical still like where i'm always trying to contribute to the the whole of what's happening um and so there's like there's definitely like a lot of i guess you would call them mistakes but it's like we're all just sort of playing music together and so i i move in and out a lot between like playing pieces of melody that i'm picking up and playing more rhythmic things to like support things that the fiddle is doing or the banjo um, and so that's why the transcriptions are like based on <laughs> what George is doing and not what I'm doing, because it's like, well, I, um, I wanted that to be sort of educational to, to not make people feel like they had to like learn a hundred songs before they could go to a jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the cool thing about some old time jams. Not that I've been to tons of them, but you know, you can just go and really kind of strum along and try and that's kind of, mm -hmm. that's kind of what the vibe is, is the, the, the melody is king at all those jams, you know, and if you can eventually pick yeah. it up while you're listening and jamming, you know, you can add to it, but if not, you know, you can pick up bits and pieces and, and, mm -hmm. and then just strum along, you know, it's totally different than a, a bluegrass jam. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's a very like, you know, not to, I could, I could go full nerd, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the way that those musics evolved, like old time is a utilitarian music meant originally, like it was background music for dancing too. So it's, it's like very group oriented or whatever. Whereas bluegrass is very specifically a performance music, like it was developed as like something to be played on the radio to be exciting and listened to and promotional. Um, so they just have these very different sort of core things in them. And so bluegrass has this much more like individualistic thing, whereas old time is a lot more collective. How many songs are on the first release that is coming out? Uh, on 20 Friday. songs. There'll be five volumes all together. Um, and so this is volume one. And yeah, they're cool. I I, <laughs> I definitely like, because we were so exhausted when we recorded it. <laughs> I bet. That, and it was really hard also to like find a day that all of us could like do that. Um, so we... We're so exact. Like George and I immediately left on tour and like did not listen to it for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we finally like sat down and listened to it again, like, oh, whoa, this is actually good. <laughs> <laughs> did not expect it to be good. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, we had great people. Like I said, Amy Alvey plays guitar and fiddle on it. Amy plays with a band called Golden Shoals. It's really great. And um, Frank Evans played banjo. Frank plays with the Slokin Ramblers. And Eli Broxham played bass. Eli has my, honestly like my favorite local band here, which is Dallas Ugly, like a country band. But he plays with the Arcadian Wild a lot. And um, then, and George, like I said, and and we have, the way we did it, we kind of like threw a party. So there's like, you can't really hear it too much in the recordings because we made everybody be quiet. But <laughs> <laughs> in the videos, you can hear, you can see people in the background, like, you know, we were just like throwing a party and there's like, um, so, and part of the reason was, was because in case we got tired, like we could kind of swap out. So there's a couple, I think there's at least one track on volume one where Casey Campbell is playing mandolin. <laughs> um, Eli had to go home and feed his cat at one point. <laughs> so like I switched to playing bass and Casey's playing mandolin. Um, the only person who, so George played 99 of the songs. There's one song where Rafe Stefanini plays fiddle, I think solo maybe. Um, and, but Frank <laughs> sat there and played all 100 tunes, which was crazy. Frank is a machine. Um, but yeah, so there's like, um, there's a lot of fiddle players too. So there's like, like Ellie was there at one point, Julian Pinelli, who plays with David Benedict now, um, uh, was there it was we had a whole bunch of different people i meant to like write them all down <laughs> but, um, instead of like trying to remember them but didn't do a good job mason by was there like it was there was a whole bunch of people it was a lot of fun oh man it's it sounds fun i'm, I'm excited to hear the whole thing i've definitely heard clips on your on your patreon and uh some of the tracks and seen some of the solo videos so yeah yeah, I'm excited. It's definitely interesting, like, 
you know, even between those three projects that we've talked about, like they're all certainly from you zoom out at all and they are all very closely related. Like it's all the same music. To somebody who doesn't listen to bluegrass, you could play them all three of these things and they're like, yeah, that sounds like bluegrass. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I like having all these different things because I have my other project that has been a little bit more um, on hold lately, but in San Francisco, I play in a duet with this fiddle player, Alyssa Rose, and that's like a lot more like Mike Marshall, Daryl Anger kind of classical crossover. And like, I just like, I like doing all of these like super different <laughs> projects that I get to do all these different kinds of mandolin stuff on. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's interesting because like listening to the three things before talking with you, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the old time one don't, sounds like old time music to me, you know what I mean? And probably mm-hmm. because I listen to bluegrass and old time and am able to sort the difference. Mm-hmm. And then like the Missy Rains album just sounds like a, just a, just a killer bluegrass album. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. great songs, great playing. And the Sister Sadie sounds great, too. It almost sounds like it's almost more of a, uh, I don't want to say crossover because I don't want that to be insulting, but it sounds like maybe with the, you know, maybe with the drums, they're looking for a little bit of a different audience, yeah. you know, is that, I don't know if that's fair to say or not, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, Deanie, like, Deanie played with Patty Loveless for a long time. Mm-hmm. She also played with, what's that guy's name? I don't listen to, <laughs> I mostly just listen to bluegrass and stuff, so I never. I, every time they say it on stage, I always think of Bob Saget. She didn't play with Bob Saget. <laughs> Bob Seger. That's a person, right? Yeah. Did she play with Bob Seger? Yeah. Dude, I'm from Michigan. Like, Bob Seger is like, I think I have to take a hat off right now. Or like, I'm not sure what I have to do here, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Deanie's played with all these, like, all these great people. And, um, yeah, she, so I think that she wanted kind of this other thing but it's interesting like touring with both of them because like i guess maybe because missy did the new hip thing for so long like i feel like a lot of the people that we end up being around in in that situation are a lot more on the like slightly more progressive bluegrass side i don't know like um and then touring with sister Sadie it's I end up being around like the grass goals and the lonesome river band and like things like that like these like very different versions of the same thing and then the old time thing like I have all these friends who play old time who are phenomenal musicians like some of my favorite musicians but then like Terry Bauckham passed away um earlier this year i don't i'm not good at time recently terry passed away and like i was flabbergasted to find out how many of my old time friends did not know who terry bachham was oh wow just like (laughs) there's so much like for how much crossover there is there's also like still just a lot of like i don't know i like kind of straddling all of that though yeah, me too. That's a th- part of my problem. It's like I get so <laughs> confused about what I want to focus on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I liken it to like looking at a Netflix thing. You're like, oh, I have an hour and a half. Maybe I'll watch a movie. And then I just look at a bunch of previews. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I guess I just won't do any of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Well, and, you know, I'm, I, I like all of the like sociological stuff and I'm a big bluegrass history guy and like, it's interesting seeing the progression of this because up until like really, really recently, there was not very much crossover in terms of those communities. Like, and I think one of the like main signifiers of that, um, I'm, I think is um, there wasn't a lot of banjo players who played both three finger and claw hammer like it was very much like one or the other and now it's not like every banjo player you know not by any stretch but like there are definitely a lot more people like frank evans who 
is a great three finger player and like this great claw hammer player also who there's like a lot more crossover there and those communities like historically like did not even talking to like one or two generations older than myself about old time like they have a very very different um impression of the old time community and also within old time like older old time musicians are like not hostile (laughs) but like (laughs) like pretty uninterested in bluegrass stuff whereas like um have friends like who even though they like mostly play old time or whatever are still interested in bluegrass and i guess maybe it's because they grew up going to like fiddle camps and all these things where like there was just like a bunch of different influences and stuff but but yeah there's a lot more crossover now where that was not always the case i think even some of these like um uh some of these releases that have come out too are starting to sound i feel like some of the um i don't want to say like some of the hard driving bluegrass like at, at some point it seems like some bluegrass just got too clean you know what I mean? Mm. Like just so overly produced and, mm-hmm. and like, then you take like this newest East Nash grass album, which sounds incredible, but it feels way <laughs> yeah. more old timey in a sense to me than it does just ripping bluegrass. You know what I mean? Like it's just got a different, totally. a different feel, even though, you know, he's not playing any claw hammer on it, obviously, but I don't know, mm-hmm. just the songs have more swing and bounce and it's more about the feel, which I always relate to old time music. Um, right. You know, as opposed to just like, all right, we're going to crank this to 180 on, on the BPM and, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> so it's cool to see. I mean, it's it, it adds a good variety to to the releases that are coming out. You know, and I think it's awesome. Absolutely. I think that <laughs> there was I like to tease mostly old time people um, by saying that. Um, <laughs> running through my head making sure i'm not <laughs> breaking any laws um, <laughs> um yeah i serve on the ipma board of directors and somebody <laughs> presented some question about old time or something i think they wanted us to like change the name of the organization or something because the ibma the international bluegrass music association you know we have our conference while the bluegrass where we have like showcases and all these things. And in the last, particularly in the last few years, there's been a lot more old time there. I mean, they've always really worked to feature a wide variety of acts. Like it's mature, it's mostly bluegrass acts, but they always have a few that are like on the fringe, a little more progressive. They'll also have old time bands like the Lonesome Ace String Bands played there. Um, And um like Jake Blunt and all these people who play just old time and so there's like a it was we had a discussion about like what does that mean um because of this like historical thing where they were kind of separate but that's really like just pedantic like and it's not it's all like the same thing kind of like at this point it they're the same thing and so all these a lot of my favorite bluegrass releases have really been old time <laughs> like even adam hurts um return to earth i feel like i'm messing up the name but his like sort of sequel to earth tones which was his solo gourd banjo album this record they put out a couple of years ago where he's playing the gourd banjo but he also has all these other people on it he has like Brittany haas paul coward jordan tice he, ricky skaggs plays on it like it's an old-time record but it's also like it's not not a bluegrass record it's just <laughs> a different you know kind of style and like you're saying with the east nash grass where um those guys don't really play like old time you know i know all of them pretty well it's but they definitely like have a huge appreciation for like these older styles of music where it's a lot le- it's a lot more like 
it's a lot more communal kind of like their whole show thing, like them doing that weekly show in in Nashville at these is like a very community kind of oriented thing. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I It's all kind of, it, it feels very arbitrary to <laughs> just say like, that isn't bluegrass, especially because like, who why would any nobody knows that (laughs) right right. nobody knows that it's not bluegrass right right yeah it's it's wild labels man just the label (laughs) it's so tough you know like uh, yeah it's weird yeah the the people like eat like the to the pedestrian even like i get hired a lot for private events for they want a bluegrass band but they do not want a bluegrass band you know what i mean like you know i learned that pretty early after like they come over can you play something more upbeat and i'm like oh let's do like feast here tonight as fast as we can they're like i thought you guys were gonna play something upbeat and i'm like oh they don't want bluegrass at all they want like pure prairie league and wagon wheel and you know what i mean and that's that's fine but you know when they when people say they love bluegrass i don't think they really know what that means (laughs) unless they play (laughs) so yeah and there's always this like hesitation i think with people that like the term gets watered down but even if you look at it from like a mandolin perspective it's like even if you take even if you get like a really super narrow definition of bluegrass that doesn't you know there's no (laughs) it doesn't mean anything like the mandolin styles from bill monroe to depending on how you wanted to define what is like traditional bluegrass to who plays mandolin now. (laughs) I don't know, even Harry, like Harry Clark in the East Nashcraft, that's bluegrass mandolin playing, but like it doesn't sound anything like Monroe. Or like Steffi, Adam Steffi, Steffi, you know, or or Sierra or Sam or even Jesse McReynolds, where it's like, these are all very different sounding players like it, it there's no way for it to be pure i guess <laughs> yeah it's yeah it is you know it's just yeah i i don't i don't even have a good answer it just it confounds me all the time when people ask me what i play because i'm just like i don't know yeah. like i play a mandolin what kind of music i don't know bluegrass ish <laughs> like i don't know what to tell you a lot i play everything i like on mandolin <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite like bluegrass mandolin players, even though he would not call himself a bluegrass mandolin player, is Caleb Clotter. Oh yeah. And like Caleb is one of my favorite just traditional mandolin players. It's so because he's not like pretending or whatever. Like it's super authentic. It's and it's really great to listen to. And like they cover like Joe Val and stuff, like all these like really cool things but like he would not call himself a bluegrass mandolin player i don't think i think he would just call himself if anything an old-time mandolin player certainly like, yeah man that whole band's incredible so good well tristan congrats when are the uh when are the next volumes do you guys have a release schedule set up yet or are you just kind of getting the first batch out you know uh we don't have like a schedule schedule we kind of i mean we do right now we're putting out five of the unmixed just like the raw tracks and like i put we put out the like videos of us playing and stuff we do five of those every month on our individual patreon pages and so at this point i think we're almost i think february might be month 10 so that's half of them so in 10 more months, they'll all be out. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so so <laughs> hopefully maybe sometime in that, you know, I, I had this all like, like planned out sort of, except for, I forgot how expensive it would be to master a hundred tracks. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that is sort of, cause originally I, the reason I like picked a hundred was, I kind of looked and it's like, technically, CD Baby, they don't like it, <laughs> but they will let you put out an album with 100 tracks on it. <laughs> right. That's their like, upward limit. Um, 
but yeah, once we started looking at like how long it would take us to like <laughs> mix all of those and then also pay to have them mastered and stuff, I was like, oh, okay, maybe we can just do a few volumes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Well, awesome, man. Well, it'll be available uh, wherever music is available, but a Bandcamp. I'm assuming Bandcamp's where you buy. Yeah. yeah, that's the way to go. I always say, and it's Bandcamp Friday this Friday, the day this episode comes out. That's right. So. What a definitely coincidence. Yeah, weird. Is. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's available on George's um, Bandcamp, by the way. There's we, um, you can go to mine, and there's like a a dummy album, like where it's listed, but there's no tracks or anything, but that's the way that like Bandcamp wants people to like do collaborative stuff. So it's, it's technically on George's Bandcamp If you're going to buy it, I'll leave a link below. Great. Awesome, man. Yay. Yeah. Tristan, thanks so much for doing this again, man. You're, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's always super fun to be a part of this. I love how much you do for the mandolin community. And so, Oh, thanks man. Means a lot. Yeah. All right, thanks so much to Tristan for doing the podcast once again. Thank you once again for listening. If it's still February 2nd, go out and support your favorite mandolin player via Bandcamp on Bandcamp Friday. Heck, even if it's not Bandcamp Friday, go out and support your favorite mandolin player. Cheers, everybody.